What is up, people of Pod? Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for all the saints and the ain'ts, also known as Holy Shit Pod, a holy irreverent conversation about spirituality, culture, and the world. If you're a first-time visitor, welcome. Clutch your pearls. This may not be what you expect. I'm the host who introduces himself first. They call me the Supreme Pontiff, servant of the servants of Pod, his holiness, and the most holy mother. Shut your mouth. But you can just call me Brandon. Well, so I guess this isn't going away. Uh, so let me get into it. Let me think. They call me the Platinum Virgin Mother, Queen of Patriarchs, Lesbian Most Faithful, and Her Beatitude, the Reverend Mother Superior, Karen Teresa of the Daughters of Righteous Indignation out of ATL. Come on! But you, you can just call me Katie. Come on, Elevation. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, they call me the HNIC, the Archbishop of Praise and Worship, the Ecumenical Patriarch of the Southeastern Conference. His eminence, the most right reverend, Samuel E. White III. But can we just call you Sam? No, you respect my title. Today the category is my body, my choice. I need all of my suffragettes to come on to the stage. Last week, Sam was on here acting an asshole. He hijacked our entire church announcement conversation because he took one too many ADHD pills. <laughs> but we still wanted the time and space to talk about this in greater detail after Sam had a chance to actually read a few things about the Texas abortion law. So that's <laughs> going to be our word of pod. I can't promise that Sam won't be just as argumentative. I will. <laughs> but I can promise a lively conversation. But before we get into any of that, we got a few church announcements for the good of the congregation. So with that, let's get into it. You're going to get out of it. <laughs> right. Meeting my lines. <laughs> right. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit. First giving honor to God, who's the head of my life. I am so glad to be here in the service of the Lord, and we are glad you are here with us. Today's episode is going to have a little bit of a different format. Uh, not different. It's just going to be a shorter announcement segment because we're going to talk only about Lil Nas X and his baby, honey. Lil Nas X is having a baby and everybody's clutching their pearls. But we also want to give some more time to our conversation about Roe v. Wade, the Texas abortion law, and how it infringes upon those rights of women in the state of Texas. And we're going to have a little bit of a fellowship hall moment where we can reflect on 9-11. So because of that, our announcement segment is going to be a little bit shorter today. But first announcement, if you have been someone who's been with the Holy Shit Pod for the entirety of its existence, or if you're a new listener, we want to invite you to put a little love offering in the offering basket as it's passed. If you don't know what that means, go to patreon.com slash theolabmedia and you can sign up to be a monthly contributor to Holy Shit Pod, Theolab Media, and the good work that is happening here. We would really appreciate any gift that you can give. Also, I just want to say I have loved reading the listener emails and like hearing their voices on the podcast for the last few weeks. That has been amazing. It has been amazing. It's a great way for us to engage with our listeners, for us to bring those voices into the conversation. So we also want you to send us an email. You can email us at holyshit at theolabmedia.com. Send us a question. Just say hi. What's up? What you doing? Let us know what you're getting into. Just, just say something. Send us an email. We want to hear from you. Well, speaking of saying something, if you're not the email type, why don't you go over to our website, theolabmedia.com. And if you hit that purple hexagon, <laughs> then you can leave a voice memo for us. You can leave a question. You can just say, hey, and that's another way that we can connect with you. And so that is it for that first announcement. The second announcement, child, the deacon's ministry has met and they are mad. I don't know what happens in y'all's congregations, but in my congregation of origin, they had to sit everybody down when they got pregnant out of wedlock. And so the deacon's ministry has <laughs> met and they have filed a second petition against Lil Nas X. They would like for the board to consider removing Lil Nas X from his position because he apparently is pregnant out of wedlock. So Pastor Sam did meet with them to highlight that Lil Nas X is not actually pregnant. And he also made sure that Reverend Ricks scheduled a training with them so they can understand anatomy and physiology. But, that, but that's another conversation for another day. Ultimately, the announcement is Lil Nas X is out here trolling people again. Have y'all seen these pregnancy photos? <laughs> I thought they were funny. I really liked the... The sonogram picture as well. What? Yes, sonogram photos. I saw this too. 
I thought it was amazing. But you know, like the conservatives are going ballistic. They don't even know how to deal with Lil Nas X because he is just messing with everybody's assumptions about the world. Anything you can think of, he's doing it. Listen, I saw the sonogram video. I love Lil Nas. Oh, little. He said little. Little Nas X. <laughs> I love, as Katie would call him, little Nas X. Ooh. Uh, now I love little, little, I can't, wow. oh my gosh, am I becoming white? I love Ooh. Lil Nas X's ability to troll, like, no matter what it is, like, all of this stuff is happening. People are coming out of the woodworks, like, coming after him. And he puts out a statement about how the stress isn't good for the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Damn shady. That's awesome. And I love it. And so it's so hilarious in the way that he's able to troll these folks. And then you would think that it's like conservative evangelical Christians who are like crazy, but then you get people like Boosie. Yes. Who? Like, who is Boosie? I mean, I know who Boosie is, but like, who is Boosie at this juncture? I'm glad you know who Boosie is. Tell the people who Boosie is. I don't know who the hell he is. (laughs) I know he don't know the Lord. Boosie is an old rapper. He ain't nobody. He like 58. Nobody. (laughs) (laughs) But apparently Boosie was absolutely outraged by the fact that Lil Nas X portrayed being pregnant, even though like people have come out of the woodworks posting like images of Arnold Schwarzenegger and all of these other folks who have actually done full movies or things where they actually were pregnant or delivered babies. And, you know, we greet those with acclaim and applause and say that that was some of their best acting. And he says that, you know, that he's certain that at some point Lil Nas X is going to actually suck one of his backup dancers dick on stage on national TV. Is it nasty when y'all girl is sucking your dick? But first of all, what does him being pregnant in this announcement of his um, next project have to do with him sucking somebody's like how do you even draw that comparison listen ask the baby ask the baby because <laughs> what we find out with the baby is it's very likely that the baby was getting his suck in the car and so his homophobia <laughs> and his fear that he was gonna be found out made him say some ignorant stuff on stage that's all that is so Boosie, also known as Boosie Badass, also formerly known as Lil Boosie, is an American rapper. And I'm not even a hip-hop head like this. I'm just giving you the details that I know. I think he was a part of the Hip-Hop Collective concentration camp. But his government name is Torrance Ivy Hatch Jr. His stage name is Lil Boosie. You think he mad because Lil Nas X took his Lil Boosie? That might be it. He said, <laughs> I'm Lil. I'm the only Lil in here. <laughs> yeah, you are Lil with this comment. But this is what's stupid to me. Like, what's dumb to me is you always got to put shit in context. We believe that context is the queen here on the Holy Shit Pod. We have a whole episode about that. Go back and listen to the Context Queens episode if you get a chance. But this is Lil Nas X responding to Drake's album cover. So Drake's album dropped earlier this month. Certified Lover Boy is what it's called. And the album cover is 16 emojis. And it's the pregnant woman emoji. And so it's like all different shades and complexions of women. So Drake drops his album cover with these pregnant women emojis. And the first thing Lil Nas X does is he announces his Montero album coming out later this month, utilizing the same sort of album cover format, but changing the pregnant women to pregnant men, right? And then he ups the ante by actually having these pregnancy photo shoots of him everywhere with this baby stomach. So I'm sitting here like, look at the broader story. He's responding to Drake. And I'm not saying that that doesn't mean he still isn't trying to like bait y'all and troll y'all. But he's not just out here taking pregnancy photos randomly. It's because Drake had a stupid album cover. I did not know about this part of it. And I just looked it up. And that is hysterical. I am so glad that he's our minister of music and and the deaconess board is going to have to deal with that. But it has caused some pushback in the queer community as well. Shiloh Baylor, who was the first trans man to compete in Division One athletics, has gone everywhere and said that Lil Nas X's portrayal of him being pregnant is actually transphobic. But how, Sway? I think Shiloh is upset because Lil Nas X didn't take into account that there are men who can become pregnant 
in the trans community. And I think his frustration with Lil Nas X is that he didn't maybe think through all of the implications about it. Yeah, that's cute and all, but not. Like for me, I'm sitting here like, okay, so the same way that conservative people, conservative Christians, conservative political people can read too much into stuff and come up with some really outlandish shit, I think that progressives can do it as well. Like why can't this just simply be an opportunity for us to ask questions about gender, to ask questions about bodies, to ask questions about sexuality? Uh, Like why can't this actually be a conversation starter? Lil Nas X isn't out here trying to make any claims about himself as a trans-identified person. Right. This is a response to Drake's album cover. All he's trying to do is create buzz and energy around his album. Right. It's publicity stunts. And now we're going to go over here on the left and say, oh my God, this is offensive to the trans community. And if it is, if you are a trans listener and you also have that perspective, I'm not trying to belittle you. Write in. Let us know about it. I want to hear that perspective. But I also want to lift up the perspective that says this is a conversation starter about bodies. Right. I can respect the thoughts of Shyler Baylor and any other trans folks. And I think that would be an interesting conversation to have with the listener. And the point is to actually have the conversation. I was about to say, we don't always have to start from a place of critique. But even in me saying that, that is me starting from a place of critique. Like, I want to honor the fact that you had this response. And maybe like an option is to say, when I saw this image, my response to it was X. I thought about trans-identified folks who've gone through a transition, F to M, perhaps. I mean, I'm assuming by what you reported, Katie, right? Like, it's a F to M transition. So there are trans men who still have the ability to have children. Right. And I mean, I've heard stories about this actually occurring in real life. So that's a reality for folks. And why does this have to be Lil Nas X attacking that? Why can't it be us actually lifting up this phenomenon and creating additional um, awareness around the fact that some people have this type of existence? That's good, Brandon. That's good. We live in a culture, though, that's always after the critique instead of after the conversation. And so... Ooh, come on, message. That might be your sermon title. That, that was that was it. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> a culture after the critique, but never the conversation. Well... Preach, Karen. Anyways, the biggest thing is Lil Nas X got a new album coming out, y'all. September the 17th It's going <laughs> to drop. That's my boo, Lil Nas X. I thought he was going to sing from it in church on that next Sunday, but I guess not. I was going to think, what? He's going to be in somebody's church. I'm going to go back to church. That's where he should do another video where he's actually delivering the baby in the church. And I see you saying, why you want to take shit so far? Why you want to take it so far? His hospital room is the church and he's delivering the baby and then the baby is like crown the Messiah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was going to be a Madonna and child. I need to be on his creative team. Let's let's get this done. It could be an icon, right? Okay. And like they do like a Simba type of thing in the church where they're lifting up the baby. Oh, this is going to be good. Y'all leaning in. They got to put a star underneath the baby because in Bethlehem, if you go to the church of the nativity, there's a star on the ground where apparently Jesus was born. So he's got to know that. He's got to put that in the picture. Oh, yeah. I guess what it sounds like is Montero Lamar Hill on your next album when you need a consultant to figure out how to troll the Christians even more. (laughs) Your friends at the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and the Aints are happy to provide that consulting service. Call us, please. (laughs) I can't wait for this album, though, in real life. I think what he's already done is amazing. And when it drops, Y'all already know, listeners, you can expect a full-length episode on the entire album and all the music videos because we on this podcast love Lil Nas X, a.k.a. Montero Lamar Hill. So our last announcement is um, not quite as cheerful. It's something that I struggled to wrap my mind around for the last several weeks, and that's Hurricane Ida. We wanted to talk about this last week, but again, that conversation got a little bit derailed. And this is not so much of an announcement, but more so a prayer request and not a prayer request that's like thoughts and prayers, but a prayer request that's thinking about some structural, systemic racism, environmental racism. I mean, I could go on and on. I think I'm trying to highlight there are real people whose lives are being impacted by Hurricane Ida. And I'm thinking a lot about folks in New Orleans primarily, but um, we want to acknowledge that that's happening here and that even though it's no longer a hurricane and that's passed, just like Katrina, the impact of what's occurred with Ida is going to be felt for years, for decades. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just the impact of Ida, but like I think the Gulf Coast is already under potential threat of 
additional storms. Like we're still in hurricane season, yep. right? So even as these folks are rebuilding, some people are still without power in New Orleans and they may be experiencing another storm in the coming weeks. And so continue really just to keep those folks lifted in prayer, um, not just in New Orleans, all the way up to New York and New Jersey. Um, dozens of people were killed by this one storm system. That's what was most surprising. I'm not sure that I remember a hurricane that has impacted throughout its travel throughout the country, right? I mean, people got rain, but the the death toll across the country and mainly in the Northeast is just astonishing to think of a hurricane staying together that much. I mean, turning into a tropical storm, but I have never seen that. That was surprising to me. Yeah. Well, after I was vaccinated and the city started to open back up, I went to New Orleans recently just to get away and just to have a, some time outside of my house. And when I was there, it was just after they had started to open things up again. And I I rode in an Uber and the Uber driver sat there and told mm. me a story about how he had to transition his career after Hurricane Katrina. I forget what he said that he did, but he ended his business and now drives for Uber. And he talked about how challenging it was for him when COVID-19 hit because Uber and Uber Eats were his only sources of income. No one was coming to the city. There's no one requesting rides. And financially, he couldn't get by because he couldn't drive for Uber, which he's only doing because he had to close his business after Hurricane Katrina. And I was reading an article on CNN about a similar story where a business owner who survived Katrina and was starting to, you know, regain a profit again. And then COVID-19 hits. And now he was starting to gain a profit again. I think this guy was a plumber and he had plumbing contracts with the government that was going to be a huge source of income. And now Hurricane Ida hits. And he's right back where he started. So I think for me, like I'm thinking about not only sort of environmental racism, but also the ways in which our real estate practices, like where we allow certain people to live mm -hmm. and the spaces that we try to allow folks to occupy. Like I think about the fact that all of that is happening at the same time, creating these challenges for primarily people of color. Yeah. And as we find ourselves talking about so many times, it's not just one thing. It's not just the hurricane, like you were saying, Brandon. We have a system that takes care of folks who can pay before it takes care of anyone else. We have black and brown people whose homes and their business is not quite back to normal or whatever normal is. And we have climate change, which makes these things hang on. And so it is so complicated to talk just about Ida. And so holding folks in prayer those who are trying to rebuild yet again, those who are trying to dry out their homes and figure out what their lives and livelihoods are going to look like, and also prayers that folks will engage in critical thinking and conversation about the complexity of all of these things so that we're not 16 years later having another hurricane that's knocking everybody out. So we need to be engaged in this conversation today. So prayers for all of that. Prayers indeed. That's a lower note to end our church announcements on, but nevertheless, that was necessary and essential in this season to continue to highlight this challenge and this issue that's happening to our siblings down in New Orleans and around the country. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about the Texas abortion law now that Sam has had a chance to actually read about it and hopefully see things my way, because my way is the right way. It is not. People of Pod, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with the word of Pod for the people of Pod. Thanks, Thanks Pod. Pod. I'm Tadio. Thanks, Pod. <laughs> Today and every day, Holy Shit Pod is brought to you by Lab Media. Theolab exists to transform how humans engage faith, spirituality, and culture through candid dialogues rooted in vulnerability, authenticity, and courage. That's the reason for this podcast. It's also the reason for my other favorite podcast, Healing Jephthah's Daughters. The entire first season is available wherever you stream podcasts. Join the Reverend Dr. Lisa M. Weaver on a journey toward freedom, healing, and wholeness. Again, that's Healing Jephthah's Daughters. Check it out today. There's a link right there in the show notes if you have trouble spelling Jephthah. I'm not going to keep rambling, even though Sam and Katie aren't back from their potty break. Slackers. And I also won't let you hear me use the potty. And I guess I'll catch all of this in the edit <laughs> because I also won't have a long gap wherein you all hear all of us taking a potty break because that would be awkward. Let's get back into it. So last week, we had a conversation about the Texas abortion law that some of you wrote in to let us know felt a little bit more heated than normal. It was also perhaps... Wait, somebody wrote that? A couple people did. Mm -hmm. What'd they say? They agreed with you? They said what was wrong with Sam. <laughs> 
And I said, you didn't hear? He took an extra ADHD pill that day. Whatever. So we've had that conversation and I loved it. It was one of the first times in a long time that I think we've had that lively of an exchange wherein I think we were all saying things that were actually valid and correct. Mm -hmm. I think the point that I was trying to make last week is that- Wasn't making a damn point. (laughs) What'd you say, Samuel? Go ahead, I'm listening. Historically, factually, practically speaking, in the state of Texas, Roe v. Wade is no longer the law of the land. It's not- at present, the law of the land. Sam and Katie, do y'all want to relocate yourselves very quickly, very briefly here at the top of our word of pod? No, I will let them know that what I was saying was literally speaking, um, more had to be done. Legally speaking. Legally, right. Legally speaking. Literally speaking, what I said was correct. Literalist. Not completely, but legally speaking, which some people might say legal is literal. Who says that? (laughs) Legally speaking, a little more had to be done. Like Brandon's claim that it was overturned. Like you say, Brandon, like actually we see that it's true. But if I go and try to find the court decision where that happened, it doesn't exist because it actually legally had not been overturned. That's all I was making. Is that legal or literal? So you going to start right back in on him again? He ended up agreeing with everything we said anyway, so. I know. He did. He told a story that said it better than I could ever could have. And I also wanted to make the point that the legal challenges to this law were just beginning, which we actually see after our last episode that there are already starting to be some challenges to that law and that even some of the state judges in Texas have started to say, wait a minute, this can't happen this way. And these challenges are going to rise up to the Supreme Court. And then I think we're going to see that battle where the legal decision actually has to be made about Roe v. Wade. Yeah. So when you say that, what it sounds like is that you actually trust the legal process that this is going to happen. And the reality is- I didn't say I trust it. I just think it is going to play out in that way. Yeah, I don't think it's going to play out good. I mean, I I watched the documentary Reversing Row, which my daughter was so excited to watch with me because she's watched it about 10 times. And I think what was surprising to me, one, is I didn't realize that Roe v. Wade came out of Texas. That piece of information hadn't stuck in my head. So Texas has been looking to make it right ever since then, which is some of the things people have been saying. But the concerted effort that started immediately after Roe versus Wade. So the conservatives have been working on this for almost 50 years. And those of us who are supportive of of a woman's right to choose, of a woman's right to make decisions about their own body, I don't think we've been playing the same game. I mean, all of a sudden we're in, the game is in the fourth quarter and we're still warming up. And, And that concerns me about this period. Well, and I think that's the thing for me. We are just now warming up. I also watched Reversing Row after our last conversation with my partner. And one of the things that we talked about after that is the fact that when Roe v. Wade passed, it was passed by a conservative court. Right. Or a so-called conservative court. But we had not gotten to the place of politicizing the Supreme Court to the extent that it is now politicized. And it's also the case that that same court was passing laws, check this, that benefited Black people. Mm-hmm. Right. So the Supreme Court was now doing things that contributed to some semblance of racial equality, racial equity in America. Like conservatives couldn't come out and say we hate black people. And so what we have in the Roe v. Wade debate is a way for us to conflate our racism, our sexism into one issue and politicize it to the point that now Christian people think what they need to care about is making sure that women can't get abortions because somewhere in their Bible, it tells them this. Right, which in and of itself is fascinating, right? Because we talk about having this separation of church and state, but this is precisely where it ends. I'm like, it's it's obvious that this decision is only being made because some people's faith dictates that this is not okay. And so they're trying to impose that on everyone. They're not talking about laws. They're not talking about the constitution. They are talking about what they believe and what they want to impose on someone else. Yeah. What's, I think, the most crazy and outrageous thing is the response from Greg Abbott, Texas's governor, when asked about a couple of things. Uh, first, about this six-week 
provision in this law. And basically someone asked him, you know, you're prohibiting abortions. He says, no, no, the law doesn't prohibit it. People have six weeks. And I actually think the chief strategist for Bush in Texas uh, was giving an interview and he was actually saying, no, women don't have six weeks. As a matter of fact, most women don't know that they're pregnant um, in the first six weeks. And the very few that might find that they're pregnant only have maybe two weeks just with the way the, the body cycle or all of those things. Like, it's not like you have sex and you're like, oh, I think I'm pregnant. Like, oh, <laughs> it happened. You know, got six weeks. This clock is ticking. No, you know. And then they asked about there not being a provision in this law for rape. And the governor says rape is a crime in the state of Texas. And we're going to do everything we can to prosecute all rapists and get them off the street. Well, the thing is, you really don't become a rapist until you rape. And that means if someone is already pregnant by their rapist, you arresting them and getting them off the street does not do anything for this woman who has to carry her rapist child to term because of this law that you have enacted. And so the fact that this ignorant ass white man can sit up here and give these type of responses makes me wonder who in the hell put this man in office? Texas. The answer is white. If we talking about what to put the answer in the voting bill, Sam, we need to... Yes, the question. I know what the answer is. White, white. White people. Uh, white people. Who white people? Teacher. I, I, teacher. <laughs> white people. <laughs> so I was I was watching that last week, and I was just like, "You got to be kidding me! This is the this is the governor!" Like, wow, interesting. Like to me, because we are clergy, I'm sitting here like, if you need a biblical case for abortion, <laughs> which I don't want to make one for. Like, just go to the Psalms to talk about bashing the baby's heads against the stones. Against the rocks, right. That, that baby had a heartbeat. I think what I'm trying to say is there actually isn't a biblical argument for this. And so I'm trying to figure out what you're basing this in. And if you're basing it on the fact that God wants people to live, there are, there are additional conversations we need to be having, which you all don't want to have. Correct. I was trying to get my head around this. My understanding is that the biblical part is thou shall not kill. It's from the Ten Commandments. And so that's the whole reason behind trying to say that the fertilized egg is a human because then you can try someone for murder. I didn't realize that until I actually looked up the the Roe v. Wade um, opinion and everything that came out of the Supreme Court regarding that. Because I was going to say, this isn't a conversation about life, right? We don't even need to talk about when life begins, but that's the, entirely the reason they're trying to get people charged with murder, and that's connected to the Ten Commandments in their minds. Intriguing. Those commandments, whatever. Those were the rules for Jews interacting with Jews. They, they were saying, don't kill other Jews. I mean, you, you didn't hear them say when God said, you go into this land and I'm going to give you power to overtake your enemies and to kill all of the, the women and the children. They didn't say, now God, you said, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> they didn't. No, because they knew the context of where those commandments were coming from. I mean, I know that you know that, Katie. Yeah, right. To your point, Brandon, like that's the whole point. If you want to say that you're pro life. Tell me, how are you going to take care of the mother? How are you going to take care of that child? Mm -hmm. And then if that child somehow does something, you want to put them to death, hmm. right? Come on, Katie. You're not feeding people. You're not giving them education. You're not training them. And then you want to kill them. Pro-life isn't what you are. And ain't ever been. No. And so if you want to say that life begins at conception, then actually stand for it. But I think that's beside the point. But what you were saying, Brandon, is, and I, I agreed with you last week, but I wanted to just kind of deepen my knowledge that the Roe v. Wade says that there are absolutely no restrictions during the first trimester. Zero. Zero restrictions. The state can't even regulate it. Right. And so that's the thing. We are like barely into pregnancy at six weeks. I mean, people are barely taking a pregnancy test at that point. I mean, they may just like be like, I'm, my period is late. It's two weeks after missed period. Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, oh, I, I missed it this month. That can happen because of stress. That can happen because of whatever. And that's assuming that they have a regular cycle. Exactly. Like, what if it's irregular? What if they go six weeks without a period sometimes? Like, you know, like, this is just crazy. Yep. 
So ultimately, I think with all this stuff about life and thou shalt not murder, I think for me, what the anti-abortion movement is evidence of is that conservatives don't actually care about biblical literalism or interpreting the Bible in a certain way because they just want to interpret it in a manner that supports their claim. And they're willing to put a whole lot of stuff in there to substantiate whatever their agenda is. And the ultimate agenda is to make sure there are five votes on the Supreme Court that will help them control not abortion because they don't actually care about that, but to control a country that is becoming increasingly diverse and a country which they no longer represent. The goal is control. Abortion rights isn't about the Bible. It's always been about math. It's always been about saying all you need is five votes to win. Because if you got five votes on the Supreme Court, it doesn't matter who's the president. It doesn't matter which party controls the House. It doesn't matter which House controls the Senate. All you need is five. And that's been the 40-year project of Republicans. For your cousins who sit there saying that they care about life and how God doesn't want people to die, they're lying. What they care about is math. Well, they don't care about math consistently because if you think about the state of Georgia in the last election, but that's another point for another day. I think that was the thing, right? Everybody knew white people just want something to be mad about. It's no longer politically correct to talk about not liking black people. So let's talk about abortion. And every single Republican president since 1973 has been required or was going to lose if they didn't claim a pro-life stance. So even Reagan, I think, was not pro-life. George Bush Sr. was all about choice. And even Trump was as well. And they got to him. Like, Trump wasn't going to win until the last moment when he said that he was pro-life. What Republicans have always been able to do well is to message, right? Yep. So when Roe v. Wade came into effect, you started to get the laws called partial birth abortion. Yep. That's not a scientific term. It's not. You made that shit up to politicize it. There's no such thing as a partial birth abortion. But because you need a way to galvanize people around this thing, you have to talk about partial birth because then you can talk about thou shalt not kill. Right. So you're utilizing the Bible as a proof text, not as a primary text. And that ain't cute. At the end of the episode, I read a quote from Toni Morrison that I think really did encapsulate a lot of our conversation that day about both work and abortion. But I want to read it again today because I feel like it just was at the end of the episode without any discussion and there's a lot of meat there. And so for the last little portion of this conversation, I want us to reflect on this quote more explicitly and to invite you to reflect on that with us. Again, this is from Toni Morrison. The quote is, in order to survive and thrive, empires must exercise complete control over human reproduction. Mm-hmm. This, not a love for children, is why abortion, queer people, and sterility are demonized and despised. In a white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, white children are needed so that whiteness can maintain its majority. And so even if, I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I, this is a tangent. So even if it's black and brown women who might be seeking out abortions, we can create fear because if white women are aborting babies, we won't have power. We won't have control. We won't have the numbers on our side. Continuing the quote from Toni Morrison, black and brown children are needed so that there is a steady supply of soldiers, laborers, cannon fodder, and scapegoats, end quote. It ain't about the Bible and it ain't about life. It's not. Not in real life. Mm -mm. This comes from the same conservative mind that would sterilize our black women. And would. And have. And have. And and have. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, But you're so concerned about life, but you will prevent black women from being able to reproduce even if they wanted to. And now your grandchildren are, are crying uh, because of Jesus. You know, we're going to criminalize a, a, a woman's choice over her body. Like, this is just, this is just asinine. This is why you cannot forget history. This is why all of these things have to always be in conversation with history. Not to mention what Katie said about like, oh, you know, you, you're for the death penalty and all of this stuff that's happening right now. You literally was sterilizing black and brown women. You literally was taking away their ability to reproduce. I think what that brings me to is what I said last week is ultimately we can talk about this all week, but right, we're talking about black and brown women and white women who are going to end up seeking abortion somewhere. And it's not going to be safe because it wasn't safe back in the day. Yeah. I also think that it's intriguing that just last week, 
the Supreme Court of Mexico chose to decriminalize abortion entirely. Now, there still are some questions about the impact that that has for the country as a whole, but we won't get into that here. But just below the state of Texas, a neighbor of the state of Texas, you get this drastically different action that works to decriminalize something that actually is about women's health mm-hmm. and women's safety and not about whatever your pastor told you it's about because your pastor was lying. Your pastor didn't mean it. Last week, we didn't talk a lot about this theologically. We talked about a lot of it just in terms of like the dynamics of the subject matter. But we are a podcast that values having conversations about sort of faith and religion. And we happen to be three folks who have historically been affiliated with Christian churches and denominations. And I'm still Christian. Okay. I'm Christian humanist. You've been saying you was more humanist than Christian. Oh, yeah, but I'm still a little Christian. You Christian (laughs) linguistically. (laughs) I mean, I, I was rooted in the Christian tradition. I was raised in black churches and both of those things form my outlook on the world. I, I think that the label of Christian is no longer one that is helpful for me and no longer one that is uh, one that I need to privilege and prioritize because I've seen too much and I know too much now. Like it's Christians who are creating these snitching sites. Like when did your Christianity become a witch hunt? Or people who at least call themselves Christians who have now created snitching sites online to make sure that this Texan abortion law has an avenue through which people can report those who are seeking health services. Like for me, if we're talking about Republicans messaging, Democratic messaging, progressive liberal messaging, we need to talk about health, safety. These women are seeking health services, full stop, period. That's what this is about. It's about health care, safety, and security. It actually is about life. I'm sorry, I could go on here every day. So the next time you're having a discussion about this at your dinner table, at the Thanksgiving table, at Christmas, on TikTok, wherever, think about this Toni Morrison quote and the fact that really what you're saying when you talk about being anti-abortion, you're talking about making sure that white people stay in power. And you're talking about the fact that black and brown people are soldiers, laborers, cannon fodder, and scapegoat. You are reinforcing racism every time that you make that argument. Hmm. Don't talk about no black life mattering. Hmm. And not only because black folks are being gunned down by the police in the streets, Mm -hmm. but also because at the root of this argument, if you think about history, is the fact that Republicans wanted a way to politicize the Supreme Court and to say that they didn't like black people without saying that they didn't like black people. Let's make sure we get the racists in the seats without ever telling them that we're racist, even though we all know it. And that doesn't mean that if you're a listener who's Republican, caveat, I have some serious conversations that I want to have with you one-on-one. I'm not saying that you're inherently racist, but if you're a person that affiliates with the Republican Party, you might walk like a duck and quack like a duck. And you have to start asking questions about the party with which you're affiliated and the impact that that party has on the daily lives of people you claim to care about. Because if you listen to this podcast, you're at least willing to listen to two queers and two black men. So again, I'm not saying you're a racist, but I'm saying I got some questions for you and let's talk about it. So that concludes our word of pot for the people of pod. We do have one additional segment today, a little bit of further liberty, a fellowship hall conversation about 9-11. So we're going to take another quick break and then talk about remembering 9-11 and offer you our invitations. We'll be right back after this. So today, before we get into our invitations, we do want to acknowledge that this past Saturday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. We were going to do this as a church announcement initially, but after some reflection, it feels much better to actually do this as its own freestanding moment. I remember exactly where I was on 9-11. I'll never be able to erase that from my memory. I was sitting in Dr. Morrison's biology class or anatomy class. I'm not sure which one it was, but a yellow note came under the door and Dr. Morrison grabbed it and didn't read it aloud. He just looks and his mouth drops and he walks over to the TV because there was a TV in every single room and just turns it on and takes it to the news. And we sat in biology for the next 50 minutes watching the image of the plane going into the tower on repeat. And I don't want to think about this in that sort of hyper-emotional way because I think that there are liabilities to that. And that contributes to sort of American exceptionalism and thinking, how dare they do this to us on our soil? This was a painful moment in American history is what I want to say. And when we look at America's history overall and we tell the long story, there are so many other atrocities that we've enacted on our own soil. Slavery being the primary atrocity, killing indigenous peoples, Amerindians, Native Americans, whatever your PC term is, killing those individuals and stealing their land was another atrocity. Like, this isn't the first time something like this has happened on American soil, but it's the first time America has acknowledged it in this way. Did y'all do anything to commemorate 9-11? I sometimes replay what was going on on that day. I can vividly recall every single thing that happened from the moment we heard that the plane hit the towers to watching 
the second plane hit the second tower. And I was at my internship site after the first plane hit. And we, we were actually watching the Today Show on like a four-inch television screen. But when the plane hit the Pentagon, I remember calling my father because he was going back and forth to the Pentagon those days. And he was fine. But at some point, I had to go, go back to school and went through backed up. Uh, traffic in downtown Atlanta. But the class I had that day was on religious ethical mediation. So the first class that I started my last year of seminary was talking about conflict and and then how to create a way of responding to the world differently. Over the past five or so years, I'm reflecting more increasingly on history post 9-11 and how it compares to the events of 9-11. It's real, I think, like Katie is explaining, because this happened during our lifetime, we remember where we were, what we were doing, what happened. I mean, I literally was still in, in high school, I think the 10th or the 11th grade, when they came over the loudspeaker and said, all the classrooms turn on the TV. And we watched in real time, the plane hit the second tower. And so in retrospect, to look back on this and, and think about how there's this kind of attack on what represents the seat of economic power in this country is crazy, especially when you put that in conversation with something like Greenwood and Tulsa and how the seat of economic power for black communities was also attacked by the United States mm-hmm. government. And so I think about that in conjunction. And so for me, I can't remember 9-11 without remembering Greenwood. I got to always remember those two things together. Otherwise, we'll we'll remember America as always the victim and never... Say more about Greenwood. Like press your claim there a little bit. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1921, which this is what um, many people probably have heard this referred to as the Tulsa race riots. I think many names have been used. Apparently, this started when uh, a young black man who was on an elevator accidentally bumped into a white woman in 1921 who was also riding that elevator. And she kind of ran off the elevator, hysterical, uh, afraid, you know, typical white woman stuff, and basically saying, that she had been assaulted by this black guy. And he like, he cut out. He took off running. He was like, uh-uh, you know, because I know what this is about to be. And the white folks got so mad in Tulsa that they demanded that this young man be arrested. He was arrested. They went to the jail. They demanded that the sheriff hand over this man so that they could exact their own justice. When the black folks heard about this, and there was a number of veterans, black veterans in Tulsa, they said, uh-uh. And not just black veterans, but prominent folks, black folks who owned hotels. Uh, one of the gentlemen owned a hotel, black folks who owned businesses, black folks who were armed. They said, we are going to protect our community. We're going to protect this young man. And they went down to the sheriff's office and they said, it seems like the law enforcement needs some assistance. So they went down with their weapons and they said, we are here to assist the sheriff in protecting this prisoner. When they did that, it's like someone struck a match in a powder keg because the white folks was kind of like the audacity of these folks to come down here armed. And that began bombings. That began the complete decimation of black neighborhoods, all of the black businesses in the Greenwood district of Tulsa, that district was where all those black businesses were. They burned them. They bombed them. Black folks literally ran out of town to escape the annihilation and decimation of their communities and their culture. Now, how does that relate to 9-11? Because that was, it was very intentional what white folks in Tulsa were doing. They understood that they needed to attack the economic power of black people to instill fear, to instill terror, eliminate the power that they were building. And if you think about the strategy Mm. that went into devising a plan to attack the Twin Towers, why the Twin Towers? Why that particular, because it represented the seat of economic power in the U.S. It was a critique of capitalism. Yeah. It was a critique of capitalism. Not just a critique of capitalism, but I think it was also intentional to not just critique capitalism, but to deal a blow to the American economy, to how we function as a society through capitalism, all of those things. I think in some ways it mirrored the strategy of what was happening in Tulsa at that time. Yeah, I've never thought about those two events together, but I think why I'm troubled about 9-11 and why it's hard for me to reflect on it is the atrocities that are associated with people who were in those towers when it happened. I mean, I saw one piece that was published. It was the audio of someone who was actually in the tower when the second plane hit. And to hear how terrified these people were does evoke a lot of emotions. And there were Black 
people. There were brown people. There were women folks. There were gay folks. All kind of folks were in these chat towers mm-hmm. in this symbol of American capitalism. And one of the things I was talking about with Adriel, my partner, the other night is I was just saying like, you know, you would have thought that there were other buildings that were our symbols that would have been hit first. This was a coordinated attempt to really critique American capitalism, American faux democracy. And so we know that there was a plane headed toward the Capitol building. My assumption is there was also one headed toward the White House. Mm-hmm. We know that the one that kind of touched down near Camp David was about to head to that location. And so there was this attempt to critique capitalism overall, but it's interesting to put that in conversation with what happened in Tulsa when Black people were living into these capitalist ideals and creating wealth and power and money for themselves. And there was this coordinated attempt to impede the power they were building and how America responds to Black folks playing by the rules of the game versus how America responds to folks who critique its system, the system on which Tulsa was based. It's the first time that I've had this kind of conversation about 9-11 in an intentional way, even though it's brief. As we're thinking about moving toward invitations, I think that this is also an invitation of sorts. America has tried to crystallize 9-11 in our imaginations, and they want us to talk about it and think about it in certain terms. Millennials, Gen Xers, boomers, anyone else that is not a Gen Zer is aware of this event in very concrete, tacit, tangible ways. And some of us are able to link that back to Pearl Harbor if we were alive at that time. And these two times that America was willing to acknowledge that an atrocity occurred on its land. But as Sam has already highlighted, this wasn't the first time. And when we contextualize it in that way, the invitation is to think more critically about capitalism, about white supremacy, and about the ways in which this sort of claim that we're trying to create democracy around the world has impacted all of our lives and the contradictions associated therewith. So sit with the contradictions. If you're somebody who's lost a loved one in the 9-11 terrorist attacks, sit with that. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't honor that, that you shouldn't reflect on that, that you shouldn't hold that person in your memory. But I am saying for everyone as a community, as a culture in the world, in America, we have to think about the contradictions associated with our claims of democracy and the contradictions and the inequities that are inevitably embedded in capitalism. And the contradictions that exist within the way we remember and embrace history. Because often, Brandon, these things that, you know, are kind of a stain on our history because the American government and American organizations and agencies were the terrorists against Black people. We don't want to remember those. We don't want to talk about those. We don't want those to be a part of school curriculum. But every year, we approach 9-11 by saying, never forget or remember. And it's like, remember the way in which we were, we were victimized, but don't you dare remember the way in which we oppressed, the way in which we murdered, the way in which we killed. And so that's the tension that I have. It's not that I don't think some of those images that y'all are talking about are traumatic and atrocious. And I don't feel for the people who died on 9-11 because God knows I do. But I'm ready to fight somebody who can have that type of empathy, but don't want to have the conversation about Tulsa, about how Black people were um, murdered and killed. And, And that's always my challenge when we remember. Absolutely. Remember the long story, not the short one. Mm -hmm. Remember the painful story, not the easy one. Mm -hmm. Remember the story that makes multiple emotions rise in your being. Don't just do the one that makes you cry. Tell the long story. Tell the whole one. And with that, let's go ahead and transition to our invitations. Uh, Each week, we like to give you invitations to life and life more abundantly and ways you can more intentionally reflect on what we've discussed today. We've talked about a lot. We talked about Lil Nas X. We talked about the Texas abortion law and even 9-11. So what else do we want to invite listeners to today that might be a source of life and life more abundantly? What y'all got? Well, I think as I as I think about all of the topics we've talked about today, this idea of complexity of conversation is the layered conversation is abundant. So I think my first invitation to life is to deepen your conversation and deepen your thinking. And some would say interrogate the beliefs that you have and engage in dialogue with others, whatever that looks like, reading people relationships, all of that. My second invitation is more action-oriented. I think even though it is obvious that this bill is against 50 years of case law, I think we have to figure out how to support women who are seeking medical care and holding on to reproductive rights. So I think that we need to figure out what that means around the country to support women in this regards and to risk in the process. So that's my invitation. Ashe. To piggyback off of Karen, a second invitation is that we find ways to support women. I saw a the quote from 
Judge Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings where Vice President Kamala Harris, then Senator Kamala Harris, asked, can you think of any law, any current law that regulates the male body? And he thought, and he thought, and he thought, and he said, no, I can't think of any. Hmm. Yet he's now a Supreme Court justice who may have a significant role in overturning, legally overturning Roe v. Wade. And so another appeal is, and I said this last week, is for us to understand that elections have consequences. People are scared because the country is changing, because soon we will be a minority majority population. Which I still think is a bullshit argument. I mean, I get the concept, but I think the fact that people are like, let's put all the brown people in one category to create fear among white people. Like, I just, it, it makes me so mad because I'm like. Oh, no, I don't think we should put them in one category. I think that is some of the fear among white people. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm saying that's what they're saying. It's to foster fear. But black folks and Latinx folks don't automatically have the same political goals. Correct. They don't. Um, but I just think the fact that this country has been in numbers, a majority white country for so long, and that over time, those numbers have waned and dwindled. And at some point, just in numbers, it is going to be a majority minority population. I think for some white people, they can't come to terms with that. And I think we see that in the census. We see that born out in other places where they're trying to figure out how to make folks white who wouldn't traditionally be regarded as white so that they can maintain that power. Right. It's like Oprah Winfrey decided to pass out whiteness all of a sudden. You get a little bit of whiteness. You get a little bit of whiteness. Everybody gets whiteness. But <laughs> your voice is also important. And so to, to think that you... Your voice is not important. And I know we hear it in Southern states. I'm from Alabama. I've heard black people from Alabama say all the time, my vote don't matter. Alabama going to be red no matter what I vote. But your local elections are important. Absolutely. And your voice in these national elections is also important. So please participate in your election processes. And we're already starting this conversation early on the Holy Shit Pod because this cannot be work that we do for the two months that precede an election. We're heading toward midterms, and now more than ever, we got to start registering voters and educating voters. Your vote does matter. Your voice does matter, even with redistricting, even with all the things they do to disenfranchise you. If enough people get beyond the mindset that it doesn't count, it actually make, does make a difference. Ask me how I know. Look at 2020. And I honestly believe, and I can't wait, and what I, what I would love to see is that these, these folks be defeated even with their own policies in place so that so that when they're in the minority and they're saying we've got to change these policies your policies we got to change your policies that we defeated you with like you know and so we see they don't care about that hello Mitch McConnell yeah hello Supreme Court right hello Merrick Garland right hello Brett Kavanaugh right hello Amy Coney Barrett that man don't care evil incarnate trash and for our last invitation i want to invite everyone to go online and see if you can find any snitching websites where people can report women seeking health services. And I want you to help crash those sites. TikTokers started campaigns to flood all of these sites immediately after they started going up. And I think that's amazing. I still got some issues with TikTok and how it shadow bans black creators and how white creators steal black folks' content. That is still an issue. But in this instance, TikTok was utilized to galvanize people to crash these Texas snitching sites. And you can go participate. If you don't know how to do it, just look for the TikTok videos. If you're not on TikTok, just Google how to crash the snitching site. There are articles about how you can help do this. Try it. To me, that's an invitation to life because by those sites crashing, there is now one less way for individuals to inflict harm on those women who are seeking health services. Help us crash the sites. And that brings us to the end of another service here at the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and the Aints. We are grateful to you for once again hanging out with us here on Holy Shit Pod. One of the things that we love most is connecting with you. As we've already said earlier, send us an email, holyshit at theolapmedia.com or a voicemail using our website, theolapmedia.com. And if you happen to be listening to Apple Podcasts, we always appreciate a five-star rating and review. Hit us up in Apple or in your podcast app of choice that allows you to submit ratings. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Take it easy, people of pod. Peace.